After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! We are coming to the end of another month. We are coming to the end of the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. This is both a, a good time and a somewhat apprehensive time, Josh, in that pretty soon we're not going to have multiple games every night and there's always a feeling of sadness when that happens there is the first round is my favorite time of year we've got so much hockey so many games all those potential upsets i love having to bounce back and forth between three or four networks just to keep up with what's going on and i'm gonna miss it todd <laughs> it does give the remote control if you're jumping on TV a workout, doesn't it? Got a nice callus going right there. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, there's a, There's been a lot happening on the ice. There has been some discussion off the ice. And we've noted a few particularly good arguments and discussion points about officiating from this past week as well for this week's edition of the Scouting the Refs podcast. It, of course, is brought to you by Manscaped. There are special savings available for you with our Manscaped partnership if you use the code REFS, R-E-F-S, use the code REFS on your order, you will receive 20% off your order and get free shipping. Now, for months, we have been telling you about the amazing Manscaped product line. It is huge. It's extensive. There's the Weed Whacker, a fantastic trimmer, skin-safe technology. It's idiot-proof, which makes it the perfect tool for me. The lawnmower. <laughs> the lawnmower is also perfect for all your below-the-waist grooming. It is absolutely amazing, super sharp, a close clip without any kind of worry about scraping a little too close. And again, the perfect combination of super sharp ceramic blades and safety technology. I got to tell you, Manscaped has also now introduced the lawnmower 4.0. Josh, listen to these numbers. It has adjustable guard sizes, one through four, to get the cut you want. 7,000 RPM on the motor. 7,000 revolutions per minute with quiet stroke technology. It's waterproof. It comes complete with a rechargeable battery and charging system. It is the right tool for the jewels, as we like to say. And it is amazing that this has now been introduced to the entire landscape product line. It is. It's nice. I mean, that speed sounds scary, but it's not at all. It's perfectly safe. And I think it's great that when you're done, you can take advantage, especially this time of year, Todd, of the crop preserver, because that that anti-chafing deodorant, that that idea of not only trimming, but keeping everything nice and comfortable, especially as the temperature starts to rise. It's 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 just a great combination. It absolutely is. All the products available at manscaped.com. Don't miss the opportunity to save. Go to the website now. Use the code REFS. Get 20% off and get free shipping. Please make sure you follow us on our social channels. Get Josh at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and on Instagram, at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram for me. And of course, we like questions and comments via email. Hey, ref at scoutingtherefs.com. On this week's episode, hey, it wasn't me. The fines keep coming. Oilers Archibald suspended, Kadri appeals, and lots of stuff being said and written about the refs this week. I, I think that pretty much covers all the bases, don't you? Yes, it does. It's It's been another player safety busy week, and 
anxious to hear about the cadre appeal, but yes, lots of people opining on the officiating in the postseason, as is pretty much par for the course. Yeah, it sort of happens this time of year. Now, we have said on this podcast numerous times that there are mistakes made and calls do get missed by officials. It's not a secret. It happens. And we had kind of a funny example this past week in the now completed series between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Florida Panthers. Bolts forward Ross Colton was driven hard into the boards from behind in game number five. Referee Francis Sharon whistled Mason Marchment for the penalty. Except it was Radko Gudis who delivered the illegal hit, and you pointed that out on the ScoutingTheRefs.com website. I, I just think it was kind of funny. Good that it was penalized, but hey, man, it wasn't me. It was, it was the right call. It was the wrong guy. And I guess if you're the Florida Panthers, you, you'll take that trade because it gives you Gudis out there to kill the penalty, which he did. He was out there for over a minute and a half of, of penalty killing time. So the right call, but man, it was the wrong guy. It does happen every now and again. Now, this series between the Lightning and the Panthers, everyone was excited about it and anticipated that this would be a fun series. It was also a rather physical series. It was a bit nasty at times. We had some fines issued for Tampa players Patrick Maroon and Ryan McDonough. Both got fined by the Department of Player Safety for stick fouls. Now, this was also the second time that Pat Maroon got into trouble with player safety involving the Florida Panthers recently because, remember, at the end of the regular season, he got penalized for escalating an incident. He escaped the custody of linesman Pierre Rassico to further continue the nastiness with the Panthers. And I wondered, I, I guess it, it has an influence, but it didn't reach the point of maybe he should be suspended again for the stick foul. No, and I, I think we go back to the player safety mantra of was this act a suspendable offense? And I'd say by itself, maybe it wasn't. Looking at a pattern of behavior, maybe it should have been to set the tone and say, hey, look, look you did something a couple days ago. You did something again tonight. This might not be suspendable on its own, but we're starting to see a, a continuance of behavior. We're starting to see a pattern here. And I, I wonder how much, you know, we talk about repeat offender and how that applies, but I wonder if there's a different case to be made for repeat offender that, you know what, if you're issued or effectively going to be fined for two incidents within a certain time period, that maybe that does trigger a suspension for a, uh, you know, a didn't learn his lesson type rule. Uh, yes, maybe that's something we'll revisit in a few minutes when we talk about the broader issue of player safety and officiating, if, if I think that might be appropriate. Now, I, I, let's mention a couple of other fines as well. Shea Weber, the Montreal Canadiens, got fined. Anthony Mantha of the Washington Capitals got fined. Oh, Eric Stahl of the Montreal Canadiens also got fined. Are we seeing more fines issued than usual at this time of year? I know there's usually a couple in the early going of the playoffs, but it seems like the quantity might be up a little bit. It, it does feel that way, and they're spread around pretty evenly. I mean, it, we know things get chippy in the playoffs, and perhaps this is player safety trying to find those situations that are just over the line and issuing a fine to try to rein things in on the ice. You don't want situations to get out of hand, and certainly we expect the officials to be doing that during the game, but I, I think that some have just gone a little too far, and, and that's where player safety steps in. So I, while I think it's good, I'd, I'd like to see the officials maybe be a little bit more aggressive with some of these acts on the ice in what they're calling. But hey, player safety sending a message. Don't know how well it's being received, but remember, these guys don't get paid for the playoffs, so that maybe the fines hurt just a, a little bit more. I hadn't thought of that. That's right. They've collected all their pay already. This is this is actually money coming out of their pocket this right. time, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's costing oh. them. 
Wow, interesting. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. It's brought to you savings available for you from Manscaped. Go to the website, manscaped.com. Use the code REFS on your order. Receive 20% off and you will also receive free shipping. We did have another suspension as well. This one kind of just really a, a dumb play from Josh Archibald of the Edmonton Oilers who decided to go low bridge on Jets defenseman Logan Stanley. Um, this has also been cited as the turning point point in the game and eventually the series. Archibald was penalized on the play. The Jets scored. They kept scoring and came back from three down, won the game and completed the sweep of Edmonton. Archibald was out of the lineup for that next game. But again, this seems like an obvious, this is a, a an obvious infraction and it was pretty easy to suspend him for one game. Yes, easily. Just going in with a dangerous play like that and getting the guy down low as he did, it's, it's fortunate that there wasn't a serious injury in the play because certainly you're taking out a guy at or below the knees, which the officials called it tripping, but player safety called it clipping, which is a little bit more accurate under Rule 44. You're still not necessarily getting any more of a response on the ice. You can still get a minor penalty for clipping, which they define as as throwing the body below or the, at or below the knees of an opponent from any direction. So it's not that it would have been a major in a game or a match penalty or anything it still would have been the same impact on the ice but just interesting to see player safety tweak it and and make the call under that rarely called rule for clipping another suspension we talked about on our last episode nazim kadri we went on well at length about he got eight games for his illegal check but he's now trying to have that number reduced by appealing his sentence he's had the first Zoom hearing with the commissioner, who I expect fully is going to uphold that number and likely write a long dissertation about why he should get suspended for eight games. And I suspect that after this, Kadri will go to final jeopardy with the independent <laughs> arbitrator ruling. You like that? I do. <laughs> I, I don't have a problem with eight games. I'd have no issue if it were more than eight games. It seems as though as we stand now, Kadri is having to do something that we talked a bit about previously, that he's having to justify why he should be allowed back into the game. He's trying to get back in early. He is going to miss time. I don't think he should be allowed in early. If, if this was continuing to be an indefinite suspension, I'd be okay with that too, until he was able to justify and make amends in the sense that, yes, I've learned my lesson, and here is how I will demonstrate that to you. Yeah, I don't know that he has a strong case to be made. I know it's, I know it's been some time since his last suspension, but he's had enough of them and enough for high hits and dangerous hits that I, I feel like player safety is inclined to not soften up, and I, I think the commissioner would agree. So like you said, Todd, it's it's double jeopardy. It's the independent arbitrator. We've seen in the past when the commissioner upholds player safety suspension, like they did with Tom Wilson, and then the arbitrator pulls it back a few games. So it, it is possible that they do reduce it. Certainly, Kadri's not playing until after all hearings are done, so he does remain out while those hearings are being conducted. But I agree with you. I think, I think eight games is right. I think in the regular season, I'm looking at 10 to 12, but I, I think this was the right call, especially given Kadri's history and, and the dangerous nature of the hit. You know, did he learn his lesson? I don't know. And I, and I hope the independent arbitrator, which this will inevitably get to, would agree. 
Well, we'll we'll find out. And it, it leads next to an interesting point. There has been a lot said and written about officiating and about the Department of Player Safety. Uh, Pierre Lebrun and The Athletic had some good conversation with St. Louis Blues general manager Doug Armstrong, who suggested at the right time, it's perhaps overdue that we look at the Department of Player Safety, how it's administered. This is no memo of outrage, the way the New York Rangers approach this situation. But I think having a suggestion of maybe let's look at how things operate. I'd be okay with this. And in fact, I'd start with let's have more transparency in the process. And also, maybe we can figure out a way to have the NHLPA not advocate for the victim and the offender in this process. Right. I don't think it's the league against the Players Association where the league is the one that is really trying to come down hard on them. The NHLPA should be looking to protect the players who are getting injured in these situations. So I think they're definitely in an interesting spot there. I, I think Doug's spot on. And, and you know, I, I'm glad he chose his words carefully because certainly he's not offering a critique, but a, an opportunity here. And I think there's a lot to be learned on the way player safety operates, whether it's through their explanations, whether it's setting some minimums. I don't want to say minimum standards, but some guidelines around how things work and, and maybe even tightening things up to, to set the expectations of these situations are going to be graded more harshly. Here's some ways we can come down harder on players. We know the fines can't change. That's that's built out in the CBA. So we know that $5,000 fine is as far as we can go there. So it really comes down to player safety issuing suspensions and, and certainly some more transparency, some stronger guidelines, some better expectations on what is or isn't suspension worthy. To me, plays away from the puck, dangerous plays, plays that aren't a hockey play at all. I, I think they can grade those a bit more harshly than a hit that was maybe half a second late. A couple of other interesting pieces I want to make mention of as well. The This one by Dom Lucician of The Athletic, who makes an excellent argument that the officiating changes during the postseason. He backs it up with good stats, good information, most notably talking about Connor McDavid, who did a decent job of drawing penalties during the regular season, but drew zero penalties during the series with Winnipeg. And yes, that's curious, but he also drew zero penalties against in last year's playoff. A total of eight games, zero penalties drawn by Connor McDavid. That is a bit curious, don't you think? It is. I don't want to go so far as to say there's a conspiracy or that there's something against Connor McDavid or the Edmonton Oilers. But I I do think that for better or worse, we know officiating does change a little bit and we've seen fewer penalties. I mean, we've we've had some games with one penalty called aside, which is a bit surprising, something you don't see all that often. And we've certainly had in the playoffs. I think the the standard does change a little bit and you're looking for those more egregious offenses or ones where the penalty causes a turnover or a change in play, or maybe it's a dangerous play. And some of the ones that don't, maybe aren't called as frequently. And I think those are the kind that Connor McDavid draws. So I think this is a function of how he plays, you know, getting a step on an opposing player and getting a whack or a trip or a hook to slow him down. It gets called a lot more often during the regular season, but those are the things that they're not calling for either side in the playoffs. It just happens that McDavid tends to draw a lot more of them because he's so good. Yes, he he really is. And he's a joy to a joy to watch. Now, we we hear so little from current NHL officials because, well, it's not allowed. So when we do get comment from former NHL referees, it's always enjoyable and fun. Two in particular, Kerry Fraser and Paul Stewart, the two former refs. Well, 
they allowed themselves to be quoted by Joe Smith of The Athletic. There was a bunch of great stories. Uh, one I've heard a few times from Kerry Fraser is the gist of it is when things get riled up, he will communicate with players and then both benches and say, look, you guys smarten up. If you don't, then I'm going to start taking one guy until you do. And the difference is he followed through. And it's like, you want me to keep doing this? Keep being idiots. And this is a method, this is a tool to control the players. It absolutely is. It's something that we see some guys deploy more frequently than others. And they'll take the two guys, they'll issue a warning to the benches, and then the next time, one guy goes. And you certainly want to set where that line is I've heard, you can hear him on the ice when he's working the games and you hear it in some of the mic'd up clips. You can hear Kelly Sutherland definitely letting guys know, hey, here's the line is I'm going to take one, I'm going to take one. And to tell the players to ease up on it or or not to be the guy who's drawing that extra penalty or that's taking that extra penalty. So it, it's definitely a tool that's used uh, by some officials more than others and, and something that's effective. The most effective part, though, Todd, is the communication around it. It's not just the threat of penalties. It's letting guys know, hey, that was over the line or watch the blue or watch the sticks. And, you know, I'm keeping an eye on you. And and next time I see that, it's going to be called. And it's, it's something that I see a lot in the playoffs. And it just depends on how well and how clearly that's communicated to the coaches and to the players that I think makes the difference in in how the officiating is received by the guys on the ice. Since there has been so much talk about refereeing, officiating, and the like, let's wrap it up with some perspective from our friend Sean McIndoe at The Athletic that says, rightly, officiating receives extra scrutiny at this time of year. It gets extra attention because every game gets extra attention and extra focus. Each play is more scrutinized and it makes it appear to be a bigger deal than it really is. Also, as Sean eloquently points out, there is no such thing as a conspiracy against your team. Whichever team it is you're cheering for, the league is not against them, I assure you. And he's right. <laughs> he is. It's it's not. And it's funny when you see both teams, and it's happened so far this postseason, Maple Leafs fans, hey, everything's going against us because it's Montreal. Of course, we've got a French-Canadian official. Meanwhile, on the other side, the Montreal fans are freaking out because we've got an official from Ontario and everything goes for the Maple believe it's the same game it's you can almost tell who's winning or losing the game by just looking up refs on twitter and see which team's fan base is tweeting because the calls always come back and and like sean said everything's scrutinized you know you have everyone watching the same game or two you have every play immediately video evidence on twitter of what happened so it's it's under a much stronger microscope than it is during the regular season. And that's basically what amplifies all of this so that even the most mundane missed icing that didn't lead to anything is picked apart and and the officials <laughs> questioned because, hey, he was the first one to the dot. Well, he wasn't going to be the first one to the puck. And that's how icing. And then we're explaining icing rules because the broadcasters didn't necessarily get it either. So yes, it's a, it's a very, very high pressure situation in the playoffs because there is so much attention to every single whistle. Okay, before we wrap up, let's get back to a couple of the old reliables, if you will. For instance, the offside rule, always a favorite. Last year, the skate, of course, had to be in contact with the ice. Well, in game number four between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens, Alex Galchenyuk had his skate hover above the line in game number four. The result of the play was a goal in the net. No review took place because that's onside this year. The rule was changed. Nice to see that. And and I will say 
challenges are down. We've had far fewer challenges this postseason. Only six so far. Five for goaltender interference, just one for offside. That certainly would have been one to consider coming back. But it's it's been nice to not have as many, to not have as many stoppages and hesitations and holding your breath, at least when it comes to offside plays. So nice to see that that one was legal and didn't need to be subject to further scrutiny there. Funny you should mention goaltender interference because that's been taking place in the Minnesota Wild and Vegas Golden Knights series. In fact, both teams have lost a challenge and, of course, the losing team was not very pleased. As Dean Evison said, they want the calls to be even, so I guess they were kind of even in, in this place. But they were a bit different in that goaltenders weren't necessarily bowled over by an opponent it was the opponent's position that restricted the goaltender's ability to play their position. Right. And that's a tricky one because everybody's looking for contact or did he shove him? Did he lift his stick? Did he get in the way? You don't necessarily have to. The goaltender has to have the ability to move freely within his goal crease without being hindered by the actions of an attacking player. So even if you're not making contact, but the player is in the crease, it could be goaltender interference. And that includes situations where we saw a player enter the crease on his own, and, and is he making every attempt to get out of the crease? Uh, sometimes we have defensive players that push a guy in. That's a little bit different, but you do need to see, did the guy get there willingly? Is he trying to get out of the crease, or has he established position where he's preventing the goaltender from moving around? And it's up to the officials to make that determination, but just being in the crease, depending on where the puck is shot, you know, you can't analyze the shot and say well that was going glove side and this guy was on the other side so he didn't affect that goal well if the goaltender was not able to move as he wanted to or move freely or have the ability within the blue paint to get where he wanted to get to then it is potentially goaltender interference so there doesn't always have to be contact and in this case there really wasn't so like everyone, we're tired of the lockdowns and we want to be able to move about freely is what you're saying. Yes, that's it. And you want to listen to others because I, I know you could hear some of the quotes post game, uh, especially from the uh, the Vegas goal. I could hear them yelling from the corner, get out of the blue. You know, they kept yelling at Tuck to get him out of the to get out of the goal crease and he didn't. And then the goal gets waved off. So it's not like this happens in a vacuum where they're just mysteriously deciding to do it. They're yelling the whole time the referee was, at least the ref down low, on telling Tuck to get out of the crease. So given all those warnings, given the fact that he didn't, when the goal gets waved off, he, he can't say he didn't know it was coming. We've set the standards and now we know the standards. Am I right? Is that standard? That meh, standard? Uh, well, at, at least at least for right now. Uh, subject Subject to change. The Scouting the Refs podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code REFS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code REFS. That's R-E-F-S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. 